Hey, and welcome to episode five of What We Couldn't Say on Sunday. Um, I am here with Ross in our very fancy studio. That's right. And I'm going to be hosting him and interviewing him since he preached the word this last Sunday. And we have our very first question. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Um, And we're really excited and we're going to be diving into it. So just give you a heads up. The question is relating to forgiveness and justice. How do you, how do you forgive someone who wronged you or, or maybe how do you even forgive if someone hasn't repented yet? So that's, uh, yet to come, but we're going to start off like we do every episode and start off and just say, Hey, Ross, can you remind us what was the main point of the message on Sunday? What, what, what did you preach on? What was the text? And, and why don't you take it from here? Sure. I preached on Ephesians two verses eight through 10. And my main point was that grace alone saves, but is never alone. And there's a tension in this text because Paul says, you're not saved by works. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved apart from your efforts. And then in the very next verses, he says, you were prepared for good works. Mm. So not works, not works, not works, Mm -hmm. prepared for works. Mm. And the main point I wanted to hone in and focus on was that when God initially accepts you and brings you into a relationship with himself, mm. that is always apart from what you do. Mm. And you can never think that, oh, it's because I did this or that, that I deserve this. Mm. It's in spite of what we've done that he brings us into a relationship with himself. Mm, that's good. Despite. But like, he never is content to just leave us how we are. Um, he'll accept us how we are, but he'll never leave us how we are. Mm. And that's when the beautiful exciting, adventurous process begins of becoming like Jesus. Mm. And so he saves us for that purpose. And he starts to work in our lives. And so you just don't have biblical examples of someone who receives that forgiving grace of God, that reconciling grace of God, mm. but never doesn't receive the grace to become like God. Those things are intimately and unbreakably connected. Mm. And if we reverse them, we have heresy, we have saved by works. And if we ignore the works part that he saves us for works. We also have heresy, which is that you can be saved, but then also live in sin, which the Bible also doesn't have, have any category for that either. Mm. Um, not that, not that you will never sin, mm. but that once you're saved, you sin less and less and less as you live more and more in communion with Jesus. Mm. Mm. Can you overview some of your applications that you called us to, to do? Yeah, so at the end of the message, I wanted to apply both parts of the message. The part that we've received the grace of God, and the part that he's prepared us, even even predestined us, mm. for specific good works. Mm. And I wanted to apply the grace part, the grace piece of the message, by saying, like, the grace of God is so radical, so unexpected, that it actually brings up objections in our minds, like... <laughs> Is it really this impressive? Is it really this huge that I can live however I want to live? Mm. Like it's, it's, and of course you can't, but, but because it, the text goes on to explain why you can't, but before you hear that explanation, the presentation of grace it gives to you is so full, mm. so unexpected, so beyond what we would want or think the grace of God to be. Um, and therefore we should live in a way where we extend grace to other people. That's unexpected and surprising. Mm. My application was, who can you forgive? Not just forgive, 
but forgive who would not make sense for you to forgive. Mm. How can you image the grace of God if it was really that surprising that me and you and other people like us were forgiven by God? Who who can, can you image that grace and forgive in a way that would surprise that person, surprise other people who see it? What what can you let go of that would be surprising or shocking? Mm. Um, the other application I had was that just because we're prepared for good works and predestined for good works doesn't mean that we should be lazy or just expect them to unfold or happen. Mm. Um, God told us that he prepared us for good works so we would act like it, so we would have confidence to invest all of our time, effort, energy in, in becoming like Jesus and doing those good works. So I, I brought the example of a professional athlete who they prepare, prepare, prepare for their game. And before they go into their big game, they visualize themselves succeeding at what they've been preparing to do. Mm -hmm. And my thought is during our Devo times, what if, what if we started treating our days like that? What if we started visualizing ourselves succeeding Mm -hmm. and living in holiness? Mm -hmm. We started applying our imaginations to what our life could look like differently. If we really believed we were prepared for good works Mm -hmm. for me, it's kind of looked like Ross, what would it look like for you to engage with your neighbors? Like, because I've done a great job forgetting my neighbors the last four years. Mm. What would it look like for you to love your neighbors? Oh, it would look like you taking every opportunity you see them on the porch to stop by and say hi. And once you see that in your mind, once you see yourself doing that, right. you're much more inclined to respond that way when you step into that situation. Mm. Rather than if you're not prepared to do that good work. God's prepared you to do that good work. Now, because he has, you should prepare yourself to do that good work by visualizing yourself doing it mm. so that you're working in cooperation with God's purposes for you. Mm. So good. Yeah. So good. It kind of sounds like what you talked about a couple weeks ago, good pretending that C.S. Lewis talks about. You know? That's right. So what would be a, what would a godlier Ross do today? Yes. So you have a meeting and like 20 minutes you have to go to after this. It's going to be a race. Right. Um, what would the godliest form of Ross be like in that meeting? Yeah, you know. So yeah, exactly. And start thinking about that, and preemptively deciding how you will respond. Right. You know, what if in this meeting this person is not very organized and not prepared? They come late. Yeah. And well, and actually, since no one knows this person, the last meeting we were supposed to have, this person was not at that meeting, and I don't know if this person even knows that I was stood up. Yeah. And like, (laughs) so there. And and it's not a date, ladies and gentlemen. Oh yeah, yeah. Did I use the word date? No, you didn't. Okay. I just, I just ordered, yeah. But when when I think of the word stood up, I think about dates often. This was a meeting that was not yeah. carried through. On. Yeah, yeah. Yes. There you go. Yes, and yeah. So because we're always using our imaginations every day, like we're imagine. Like I love to use my imagination about fantasy football mm-hmm. and all, all sorts of other things. Um, I imagine what it would look like if I perfectly use my time every day. Sure. Or I or, or what about when we imagine when we destroy person in an argument, you know? So like, I think that's all everybody who's listening to this have, has done before, right? You had a conflict with someone and then throughout the day you're stewing on it. And you're thinking about, oh, I should have said this. And mm. obviously in, in those renditions of the the conversation you always win right you say <laughs> this just this one liner that's just a uh, the zinger zinger that yeah. just just drops the mic and then they're like they're speechless and then they declare how good you are and right you are that's right and um but what if on the other hand you imagined and fantasize of being the most godly christ-like person in those situations mm-hmm. where you're for you're you're gracious you're patient 
and instead of lashing out or having that one-liner, you are like the proverb saying, um, you know, a harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle uh, response turns away wrath. Right. That you're that kind of person. And I'm not that kind of person. Usually I often get excited and my, my voice will raise. So what if you're the kind of person who is quieter and listened and asked more questions than you said? And, and this is just a, a, a beautiful kind of tactic for us to grow in godliness is because all of us <clears throat> have these aspirations of the kind of person we want to be. Mm-hmm. And yet we all woefully fall short of that kind of dream. So this is one really great actionable step to step into those realities. So mm-hmm. if you're a timid person, imagine a scenario where you're going to be more bold or more courageous or more uh, out there, right. you know. Um, if you're very selfish, imagine you're a, a day where you're just serving. Mm-hmm. And over time, it's painful and it's hard and it's stretching. But over time, as you imagine and you act upon it by the grace of God that he supplies, you start becoming that person. Yeah, exactly. I think the imagination is an underrated aspect of our of our person. Um, I think in our Reformed evangelical circles, we've been taught technique or logic and um and we also need to use imagination in, in, in combination with those things in order to it's live good. as fruitfully as possible. That's great. Let's let's keep rolling on this. Uh, let, let's uh, talk about what didn't you say on Sunday or what couldn't you say on Sunday? Sure. So I almost preached a different sermon on Sunday. Mm. Um, I almost preached the main point of the sermon as you cannot boast. Grace makes it so you cannot boast. And I was taking that from that little clause in these verses that said, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this briefly in the sermon. I didn't even have enough time to double-click on it and talk as fully as I could about it. But if we look at this text, we see that God is saving us in a way that we cannot boast about, in a way that he gets 100% of the credit. And the reason he's doing that is because when he saves us, he is after his own glory. He is after making himself look good, making himself look great. He's a God-centered God. He is all about himself and his own fame and honor above everyone and everything else. And nothing points more powerfully to that than the way that he rescued us. The cross is both unimaginable grace and humbling to the maximum extent, everyone God rescues. Because it not only says, this is God's love for you, it also says, this is how much you need God's love for you, that he would have to go to this extent to rescue you. Mm. (laughs) So the cross, that's why so many people don't even believe in the gospel, Mm. because it's so offensive to say that in order to rescue you, it took the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, mangled and hanging on a cross. That's quite humbling statement and when you're rescued that way when you're saved that way our own efforts to bless and glorify ourselves are just completely undermined mm-hmm. we just put our mouths hands over our mouths and praise the one who did it mm-hmm. that way so um how do you, how do you then reckon with this idea that god has called us not to be selfish and to be proud to make much of ourselves Mm-hmm. And yet, why does he get a pass and he can make much of himself? Does He sounds like a like an arrogant, proud, proud child who just wants all the attention. Like exactly. a single child, only child. 
Yeah, so um, I've heard Piper talk about this before, <clears throat> and he said, this is why Oprah and Brad Pitt left the faith. I don't know if they, were, they probably weren't ever true believers, but Oprah gave up on Christianity, and Brad Pitt gave up on Christianity right. because they heard that God was after his own glory, and that seemed like that made God a megalomaniac right, right. or a self-centered God. And actually, it has to be that way for God to be a good God because he's worthy. He's holy. His value is infinitely beyond the value of the whole universe, every human being on the earth. His value is more than all that added up. Yeah. And since he's a just God, he has a responsibility to act according to the value of things. Mm. If he doesn't treat himself with the value that he's worthy of, that he's actually being unjust. Mm. If he treats something else outside of himself as more valuable than himself, when he's actually more valuable, mm. then he's actually undermining justice. Yeah. He's undermining his character. That's um, we, And this is where the rubber really meets the road for us. Because if God is our ultimate satisfaction, if God is ultimately the true, beautiful person who quenches the thirst of our souls, and he doesn't uphold his justice, then he won't be able to satisfy us. If he doesn't act that way, if he acts corruptly and honors people outside of himself more than himself, then there isn't a just God for us to hope in. There isn't a just God for us to run to. There isn't a just God for us to cling to. Mm. Um, And so, yes, so, so the reason why pride is wrong isn't because it's wrong for you to be self-centered. It's wrong for you to be self-centered if there's someone else who's more worthy than you. That's good. But since there's no one more worthy than God, the only right thing for him to do is to focus on his own glory. Mm. And when we see that, that's actually not disconnected from our happiness, from our blessing. It's actually directly connected to it. That doesn't become such a bad thing at all. Well, yeah, like it becomes a very loving thing for him to do because that brings us life. Right. Right. So it'd be an unloving thing for him to do to point to other lesser glories, uh, empty cisterns, Jeremiah 2 talks about, because he knows that they won't satisfy. And so it is to our good that he points to himself. Yes. I, I love how um, one preacher says this. When, when people argue that God is being self-centered and, and, and that's not fair, he, he just says, David Platt says, well, whom else should he make much of? You? Like, I remember struggling with this doctrine, this idea that God is, makes much of himself. He's for himself. And being so offended by it, deeply, like, frustrated. And I remember hearing that one statement, and it just clicked. I was like, oh, like, what are the alternatives? Right. And the thing is, and I talked about this in my sermon, according to Ephesians, um, it is to his glory... And he takes delight in sharing his love and bring, catching us up into his love that he has within himself in the Trinity and for him to lavish his grace upon us for all eternity. Mm-hmm. So something that is really hard is that people either emphasize God's glory or God's love. And the Bible actually harmonizes them together. That it is to his glory. Like that is what makes much of himself. That is what shows his goodness and his worth and his unbelievableness of how amazing he is. That his his character his natural bent is to overflow rather than hoard. Yeah. And so in one sense it's like he points to himself, but in doing that, it part of doing that, it's it's overflowing in giving. So like he's an outward in one sense he's both inward and outward. 
Mm-hmm. Like his disposition is to give and to bless and to share. Yep. And yet in doing that, he's also drawing people to look at himself. Right. To be about him. Because that is way he can bless them. Right. So they're tied together. They're not his love and his glory is not are not in competition. Absolutely not. And this is just an analogy that comes to my mind. Like if you're if you're a guy and you really want to date this girl, and there's all these other guys who are competing for her, mm-hmm. and you just know that they're garbage guys, and you know that you're like would treat her better, yeah. way better, and you say like come come be with me, don't be with them, yeah. like come be with me, yeah. And someone say, "What you think you're better than those guys?" Yeah. Like, yeah. But you actually know at the end of the day that <laughs> I am better than those guys. Yeah. Yes. Like, like they'll they'll hurt her. They'll they'll abuse her. They'll use her. And yeah. I'm here to love her. And and yeah, it might it might be glorifying myself to say, "Come to me over them." Yeah. But that's what love looks like when you really are better than other people. And how much infinitely higher is God than us? Yeah. That's good. So it is love for him to say, I am superior to all others. Yeah. Please come, come to me. Don't go to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just, I just love, it's interesting how no one's born loving yeah. the glory of God. Yeah. But then when you get an appetite for it, mm-hmm. you start to love the fact that yeah. like you love it. Like this- I, I don't know any other way now. Like I've been immersed in these truths in the Bible a number of years at this point, I've already went through my series of like being upset at God and frustrated. And the more and more I study the scriptures, the more I say, there can be no other way. Mm-hmm. Whom else should we look up? Like, I want to make much of you. Yes. And, and it's the heart that still wants to be God that gets most offense by this. Because right. now they're hearing there's a competitor. There's a competition for their heart, right. for their, their throne. And they yeah. don't want to give it up, which is probably what happened with Oprah and Brad. Like, no, I don't want to make much of God. I don't want to make much of myself. That's right. That's what I live for. That's what purpose of life is. Um, I, I was going to say about, like, God, well, when we think about aff- being offended at the idea that God is self-centered or God-centered, I think we immediately think about that person who's, like, selfish and, like, that kid who just wants all the attention at the expense of each other. But, again, I just want to harp on him being about himself is actually for the benefit of others. It's other serving. Yes. Him pointing to himself is other serving. While our, usually our category for selfishness is that it's at the expense of each other, other people right. that you get attention and you get blessings or you get gifts and whatever it is. But it's his selfishness is actually for the flourishment of us. Mm-hmm. So it's just this crazy paradoxical thing that it just kind of blows our categories because we think selfish means it hurts other people. No, yes. actually, him being self-centered is the best thing that could ever happen to us. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, I totally That's agree awesome. all that. And obviously, we need to preach a sermon on this sometime because it's yeah. such a liberating doctrine. Yeah. What what a what a painful truth to embrace that it's not about you, but yet so liberating. Mm-hmm. It's not about you because we run out. We we fall short. Yeah. And um, yeah, it kind of helps make sense of Jesus's words. Whoever will lose his life will save it. Yeah. But what does it what does it mean to die? To die in order to live. The Bible talks so much about that. Mm-hmm. I think a big part of it is you die to be in the center of your own universe. That's good. And God becomes the center of the universe, and that's painful. But that pain brings forth true life and true joy that you never could have had if you yeah. continued to be the center of your own universe. Yeah. That's so good. Um, well, I'd love to spend more time talking about grace, because I feel like 
you know, when I first started studying grace, I it took me maybe three years to feel like two to three years before I really started to feel like I'm starting to grasp it more. And even as I say that, I want to be careful because it's a ocean, you know, I just you can keep going deeper and deeper. You don't know the, the depths of it, right. but the grace of God, I mean, I've read like so many different books, listen to so many sermons, and it's just so hard for us to get. It is. It is a hard doctrine, even though it's so fundamental. It's so hard. It's so anti any of our instincts. Yeah, that's and right. It's so humbling. Um, but we don't have time for that. We, I want to highlight this question um, shared by one of our members, uh, one of our dear sisters. She asked uh, basically about how do we reconcile justice and forgiveness? So I think she, it was triggered. The thought was triggered by the by your application point of forgiving someone that doesn't make sense that you forgive. Yeah. So here's the question is how do we deal with that when we have – in this fallen world, we have people who've been deeply wronged by, let's say, a, a father, mm-hmm. abused, and the father has not repented, doesn't even maybe acknowledge what happened, or if they did, they said, you know what, my dad was worse, whatever it is. Can you forgive that person? Yeah, that's, that is an excellent question, and as you know, it's not an easy question to answer. Um, I think the first thing we have to acknowledge is that the Christian's approach to that situation, the person who's in Jesus, is going to be different than an unbeliever's approach. I I won't for a second sit here and say, oh, you just forgive, and it's like it never happened. Like, it's just like a magic pixie dust. You just sprinkle on it. Forgive and forget. Yeah. That is not what the Bible teaches. That's not what we're saying. But at the same time, there should be something distinct and different about your response in that situation than an unbeliever. I think the heart of the change, the distinction between the unbeliever and the believer in that situation, someone who has the Holy Spirit and someone who doesn't, is comes down to justice. I think justice hits right on the head. So the first question is, what is your desire to happen to that person? Mm. Like, what do you want? Because when you, you haven't forgiven someone, when you feel like something bad or some misfortune, something that balances the scales has to happen to that person in order for things to be made right, for your for your wounds to be accounted for. Um, the, the person who's not a Christian doesn't have any category of the cross. And so the really the only way that you can deal with that situation is if that other person gets some sort of offsetting judgment upon them temporally in this life that that somewhat rectifies that situation you can't you're just wanting some sort of judgment to happen to this person now the christian will say will not say oh i just want to treat it like nothing happened but you acknowledge that the cross happened you acknowledge that final judgment will happen so no matter what happens whether it's jesus or in eternity, that sin will be punished proportionately, justly, completely. And so your reaction to that person isn't, I want something to happen to bad to that person right now, mm. but it's, I want that person to repent. Mm. I want that, I, I believe that I still might need to work through something. I believe that there still need to be consequences for this. But I don't necessarily believe 
that there needs to be some sort of ill will towards that person, some sort of mm-hmm. event that brings them down in response to the damage they did to me. Mm. The w- and, and maybe the way I would put it is that there's a disposition to forgive mm. because God has a disposition to forgive. So, um, so like you want the person to come to you and say, Hey, I wronged you mm-hmm. because you want to forgive that person. Mm-hmm. Um, you want the person to come to you and say, Hey, I'm sorry I wronged you because you want to forgive that person. And that doesn't mean that there isn't healthy boundaries after that forgiveness. If the wounds are too emotionally deep, that doesn't mean that there's no reconciliation or working through what happened and processing through it through counseling, through mediation, through something like that. But, but what it means is that, um, except possibly in the most severe, severe, severe circumstances that there's a desire that there could be some sort of mm-hmm. overcoming of, oh. of that, of that um, relational divide and, and an application of forgiveness and, and, um, and a desire yeah, to see the two, two people brought together. What, what would you add to that? Yeah. So that's good. I'm, I'm with you. Um, I want to tie a couple of things together though and, and, and double down. Yeah. The reason why we are gracious and we want to have a heart of forgiveness towards people, heart that's not full of bitterness and a disposition to forgive, is because we've been forgiven much. Yes. Right? He who's been forgiven much loves much. And so we're, we're the Matthew 18 guy who had millions, billions, whatever it was, forgiven. And instead of grabbing the servant saying, you owe me my $5, we're saying, man, I've been given mercy. I want to give mercy to you. I want to give you time to pay it back and so forth. And that's the whole point of Matthew 18 is like, how, you, how can you receive the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and yet not extend that towards other, yes. others? That absolutely betrays any notion that it's possible that you actually have the grace of God, because if you truly receive the grace of God, it humbles you and it stirs your heart to be, to love others as God has loved you. That's right. And, and that's, I mean, that's throughout the whole scripture. Hey, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you, you know, love one another as God has loved you. Like that, that's the, the repeated pattern as God has done to us. We then overflow towards other others as he's been generous. We're generous to others, merciful, we're merciful to others. So that's the ground of why we do everything. That's the fun, fundamental foundation. And that's a 30 minute mark. So we got to, got to start wrapping things up. You sure but, do. but, but I would say this is that I think it's important to say that you cannot forgive someone who's not repented. And just in the same way that God doesn't forgive those who have not repented. Right. That's we're not universalists. We won't believe the Bible teaches that, that everyone goes to, to be with him in, par- in heaven. Yes. Um, but you have to repent. But that, but God has a heart that's open, that it's, it's, it's extended out mm-hmm. for people to come. And that's the, that, that's, that's what the Christian ought to do. So um, obviously there's so many nuances to every situation. And, and, and as Ross mentioned, boundaries and different processing and different things, there's safety issues at times too, with certain assault and, and, and abuse victims, but having a heart of and commitment to reconciliation is what God is calling us to do a heart that is not bitter. I mean, the root of bitterness will destroy you. So having a heart that is open to them, but to not saying it's okay, it's right. not okay unless you make things right, unless you repent. And so until someone repents, it's not okay, but your heart is open 
for reconciliation. And that, that's distinct. And it's important because a lot of Christians talk about, oh, we just forgive everyone who's wronged us. And so you got people who, you know, shot their shot some kids in a schoolhouse and then, you know, the Amish will be right there and say, we forgive you. I, I think what they should me should say, and I, I love their heart. That's gracious. Yeah. Is we're open to forgive, like we're we're committed to re- reconciling with you. We hope to forgive. Right, you. right, right. We right. hope you repent so we can forgive. Right, you. right. Because that's that's really God's disposition in not judging sinners right now. Right, that's right. Because He causes sun to rise on the right, just right. and the unjust. Well, what does First Peter say? Don't don't consider His delay as like. That he's not coming at all, but that he is being merciful. That he's patient towards all, not wishing right. that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's right. And what was that? What's the scripture reference there? Second uh, Peter three nine. Oh, Second Peter. Does that sound you. right? Let's see. Yes. Let's just hear. Um, friends, don't overlook this one fact with the Lord. One uh, verse nine. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's, That's good. And and I, I remember counseling. Let me just wrap up maybe with this counseling. Um, a gal a couple of years ago who was wronged by a guy who. Um, I, I'm gonna just leave out the details unless anybody picks it up. But I remember she saying, "I can't forgive him because I feel like if I do, he's getting away with something." That's yeah, insightful. Yeah, and I remember just reminding her, you know what? No one gets away with anything. It's either upon Jesus. Jesus, upon the sinner, upon the sinner, right? There's, there's no. Everyone has to reckon with their, their sin, and either it's because they have someone standing in their place, namely Jesus, the perfect one, the Son, or you're going to stand by yourself. That's right. And so, for those who have been wronged, and maybe the person passed away, or maybe the person looks like there's no hope for them to ever repent, you know what? Judgment is coming, mm-hmm. and praise God that judgment has already been taken upon your behalf because. You were just like them apart from the grace of God. Amen. So were some of you, as Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, right? Yeah. And I think we always, as a Christian community, always have to err towards forgiveness more than we would expect to. I understand right. that there are extenuating circumstances and really terrible stuff that has happened. Yeah. But we also have to take Jesus' words into account where he says, if you do not forgive the sins of others, neither will I forgive you. That's a terrifying passage. Right. Like, if he says... Basically saying, if you haven't forgiven other people, you mm-hmm. haven't really received my forgiveness because you have no idea what my forgiveness is like. That's right. Because if you did, right. you would be so quick to yeah. forgive other right. people. And, and he says in Matthew 5, right, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember someone has something against you, leave your gift. Stop praising me. Leave the worship service, whatever. Leave, get right with that person and then, then come back and worship me. Yeah. Right. And so there's just this call for us to seek after aggressively reconciliation and unity because God has purchased that for us. Amen. Yeah. And I think he's so serious about this because guess what? Theology differences aren't going to tear apart all people's church. Mm-hmm. Unforgiveness will. Yeah. If right. we don't, if we don't forgive one another, our church will right. be ripped apart. That is what rips apart. About, I'll probably say thousands of churches a year. Yeah. Sure. And, and so this doctrine, if yeah. we don't understand the grace of God, yeah. we will fail as a church. That's right. That's, that's why we're spending so much time. Thank God that we have Ephesians because it's grounding us in these gospel truths so that we can go into the hard places with each other and, and love each other, uh, even in our brokenness. So two, two final words. One, if you are listening and you are not right with someone, um, as God has been gracious to you, would you now bestow that grace towards them, being committed to 
reconciliation. And maybe you need a mediator, you need to call for some advice or help maybe with your DNA group. But if you have an issue with someone, don't let it fester. Don't let the root of bitterness get a hold of you. Satan will run with that and he'll take it, take an inch and go a mile. And um, if you know that someone may have something against you, you have a hunch of that, man, go after her and say, hey, did I, did I wrong you? Is there anything I can repent of? You know, Leave your gift at the altar. Uh, even when we talk about taking the Lord's Supper in a, in a worthy manner, the main context in that passage in 1 Corinthians is about reconciliation with people. And so if you have, you can't take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner if you have unresolved conflict with other people. That's a big like, deal. You can't take it. It's not just like, oh, did you sin that week? No, of course you sinned. But are you right with the body? You can't take of the Lord's body if you're not right with his body. And finally, um, we want to commend to you one resource if you would like to read it. It's called Unpacking Forgiveness by Chris Bronze. And so that's a book that really helps understand how do you deal with deep wounds and deal with forgiveness of people who have not repented. Um, And and he kind of breaks down some of these categories we mentioned in part. And we definitely could have nuanced more, but uh, time is limited um, for this podcast and especially for today because you got to go. I got to go right now. All right. And even though I got to go, I still want to read this last paragraph. Um, (laughs) I would also just encourage everyone just to look up the testimony of Rachel uh, Den Hollander responding to Larry Nasser who abused her when she was a little girl. He said, she said to him at his court trial, I pray that you experience the soul crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, Amen. which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. And there's a lot of other context and nuance in her testimony. Yeah. But it's just so powerful and such an inspiring example of what it looks like when you've experienced the grace of God. Yeah. Not diminishing the justice of God. Which she asks for in that testimony. Right. And but, but yet is is wanting ultimately more than ever for her to be him to be right with her is that he she wants him to be right with God. Amen. And for him to receive the forgiveness, he needs to first feel the weight of his sin and guilt. So thank you, Father, that you've given us that kind of freedom and forgiveness, and now we can extend that to others. So grant to us a greater revelation of your grace towards us so that we can be overwhelmingly gracious towards all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we'll see you guys later.